think we're uh, ready to get rolling. So thanks everyone for joining. And um, yeah, excited to talk to both Alan and Tushar about um, DeFi 2.0 and P-Stake and beta finance, et cetera. Um, lots of exciting things to chat about. So yeah, let's just uh, go ahead. And I, I think maybe we'll start with Alan. Uh, do you want to just um, talk to us briefly about, uh, you know, who you are and what beta finance is? Yeah, so nice to meet everyone. I'm the founder of Beta Finance, and we're a permissionless money market protocol for lending, borrowing, and short selling um, on Ethereum and also launched on Avalanche, too. And right now, we actually support over 30 markets on the protocol. So Beta Finance is one of the most diverse money market protocols um, in the ecosystem today. And we have over 40 million TVL, I believe, across the markets right now. And so we were actually the first to kind of pioneer the one-click short model um, back in uh, the summer, about almost a year ago now. And this really allows users of DeFi to easily hedge their positions on-chain um, and also to kind of act as a counterbalancing force to a lot of um, speculation that we see in the space today. And one of the cool things about beta finance as well is we were also the first to enable any user to create a money market permissionlessly. And in comparison, if you've ever used like Aave or Compound before, in order for a new money market to be onboarded, you always had to go through their governance. But we developed a way for you to, for anyone to actually create a mar money market anytime for any token whenever they want. And so that's kind of a quick background about beta finance. Um, thank you. Um, Tushar, you want to talk to us a little bit about uh, um, P-Stake and, uh, and yourself? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, my name is Tushar. I'm the founder and CEO of um, Persistence. Uh, Persistence is a, a tenement-based proof-of-stake platform. And then P-Stake is the first application um, that is built on top of persistence, but also resides uh, on other chains uh, as well. Uh, P-Stake is a liquid staking application. Uh, what that essentially means is that for anyone that has worked with proof of stake assets, once you stake your POS assets, they become illiquid, uh, even though you keep earning staking rewards. Uh, what we do, what P-Stake does is it issues a representative coin to represent the staked position for multiple POS coins. Um, and this representative token, which we call an SDK asset, um, essentially can be used in the broader DeFi ecosystem uh, to supply liquidity to a DEX, uh, to use it in money market protocols, uh, and to be used um, in other uh, DeFi applications, You know whether that is you know, options, insurance, um, uh, perps, um, and things like that. Uh, currently, uh, we have STK Atom, which is the liquid stake representative version of Atom, and XPRT, STK XPRT, uh, which is the liquid stake representative coin um, of um, XPRT being the native coin of the tenement-based uh, persistence chain. So we have STK Atom and STK XPRT live. Um, and we'll be rolling out um, SDK Sol, um, ETH, uh, AVAX, and a couple of other coins uh, in the near future. Um, 
high level you know super excited to be um here and um and uh, the alpha team has been super supportive uh of uh, persistence and as well as uh, peace stake in particular uh, of the last few months and uh, you know happy to chat more as for myself uh, i've been in the industry for about 5 years uh done different things um started my career uh primarily being involved in some of the larger projects based out of singapore uh initially uh mostly as an investor also kyber network uh, republic protocol which got rebranded ren um and then later on uh, to get deeper into the industry started a podcast called decrypt asia so i have been on the media side of things um was the first employee at lunex ventures which is the crypto arm of a traditional vc in singapore called golden gate ventures um and so as the founding team member did a whole bunch of things um and the fund did quite well but i wanted to be on the entrepreneurial side of things uh which is when in q3 2019 started persistence um and then over time uh p stake uh so that's a little bit about myself i've been on the media side of things the investment side of things and also the the building or the entrepreneurship side of things uh within the crypto industry that's awesome yeah i didn't know about some of your uh, past experiences that uh gives you uh uh you can see the industry from many angles um that's that's great um and glad to have you on the building side now um so um yeah thank you both for the um the introductions so um maybe uh let's just talk i, I want to talk a little bit about defi in general and then we're going to talk about some um aspects of just you know building and being builders in the space so um for each of you and and you can just um you know choose who goes first uh how do you kind of see defi how how has defi changed over the past uh year year and a half since kind of defi summer i guess i can start off here um so a lot has happened since defi summer back in the summer of 2020 we've seen a lot more in- interesting products that have been created in defi since then kind of to review give people a brief recap defi summer was really characterized by a huge influx in capital and usage to protocols like compound uniswap sushi yearn etc which we kind of categorize as like the og protocols that really kicked off defi um but those protocols kind of enabled like really simple foundational um interactions like lping lending borrowing depositing etc and rather than just these like simple interactions we've seen the development of more advanced financial models and other ways to leverage the blockchain um in interesting ways for financial incentives so aside from like beta and pstake of course uh new protocols like alchemix ribbon olympus dao etc have been created in the ecosystem this past year and these have introduced some new financial tools for everyone and also some like interesting mechanisms like alchemix's like self repaying loans which hasn't really existed like elsewhere um in finance 
And so there are also many, many more people in the DeFi space now today compared to the, that summer. And with this like influx of people and more users, this allows for new things to be built because there's new uh, there's like more capital flowing in. People are looking for like new opportunities. Um, and it's really exciting to see how new people with no prior experience in DeFi are also being onboarded um, into the ecosystem every day with all these um, learning programs that exist out there, uh, like Layer 3, uh, Coinbase Learn, etc. Yeah, that's really really um, a, a good, um, helpful view. Um, what do you think, Tushar? Yep. Uh, so I think high level, um, I think if we just take a step back and talk about finance itself, you know, I don't think finance has changed uh, too much um, over the last kind of thousand years. Um, uh, so, I mean, I think the uh, sort of the, um, the OG financial primitives sort of remain the same, uh, essentially as far as finance goes. Uh, so, you know, you have an asset, you want to move from one asset to another asset, uh, which is essentially a DEX. Um, you want to, you know, bo create uh, borrowing and lending markets uh, around an asset. And then, um, you know, uh, over a period of time, as things get more complex, you know, uh, you move on to derivatives, you know, so uh, having uh, perps, options, um, and then kind of, you know, uh, going into... Uh, the insurance side of things. Uh, of course, there can be innovations. Uh, some of the innovations um, that you know Alan uh, already talked about in terms of kind of self-repaying loans and things like that. Um, so, high-level speaking, there are sort of innovations happening, um, especially around mechanism design. But I think high-level speaking, sort of you know finance remains the same. Um, in terms of assets themselves, I think there's been uh, sort of a little bit of innovations in terms of the kinds of assets we've seen, you know, a lot more stable coins uh, with different mechanisms uh, come into the market. Uh, obviously, uh, liquid staked coins have made uh, a huge entry into the market. So I think there's been some innovations with respect to uh, the kinds of assets used within DeFi itself. If you look at DeFi 1.0, uh, you know, Compound um, and few of the quote-unquote OG protocols, they, uh, you know, essentially uh, the majorly traded coins or the majorly borrowed or lent coins were like the really large cap coins, whereas, um, you know, over a period of time, I think uh, the kinds of assets that these protocols are supporting has changed. Um, with respect to, you know, DEXs, um, I think, you know, a lot, uh, innovations around, you know, doing, you know, stable swaps, have you know, minimizing... Um, essentially slippages with respect to borrowing, lending, having um, self-repaying loans uh, that Alan talked about. And so I think um, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening, but basically around the same high-level um, area of finance. Uh, I think one of the, uh, and I'm obviously a little bit biased here, but I think one of the big things, so if you look, if you go to DeFi Lama and look at, I think the number two and number three, uh, biggest applications uh, with respect to TVL. I think that's Anchor Protocol um, and uh, Lido uh, Finance uh, at the moment, if I'm not wrong. Um, and those, both of those applications are actually, um, you know, kind of built around uh, liquid staked assets. Uh, so I think 
that has been a pretty interesting uh, play and it's it's a trend that I kind of foresee um, becoming bigger over a period of time. Um, you know, the total addressable market for uh, uh, POS assets is, I think, about 600 to $700 billion, especially with ETH making the transition from POW uh, to POS. So I think in that respect, um, I think if we talk about a DeFi Summer 1.0, there was always this question about um, where will new money come into DeFi from? Uh, where will new assets uh, come in from? Uh, and one of the biggest narratives um, in the industry out there um, at that point was that uh, there'll be a greater number of traditional finance trad five players who are going to bring money into DeFi. Uh, while that is not wrong, um, my hypothesis was that and the hypothesis of the team as well was that, um, you know, you can essentially get the next 200 to 300, 400 billion dollars um, into DeFi just from, you know, crypto assets themselves, which are the proof of stake assets. Um, and so that's, I think, something that from a DeFi summer, not summer, but DeFi 2.0 perspective, I think has has played out quite well. And it's something that I foresee, uh, you know, playing out over a period of time as well. Uh, what becomes super interesting uh, with liquid staked assets is that these are interest-bearing assets or or yield-bearing yield-generating assets, um, which allows uh, again folks to do super interesting things in terms of uh, again you know having self-repaying loans, uh, doing leveraged liquid staking, because um, uh, the base asset is always appreciating in value. You can you know continuously borrow uh, against it and uh, you're essentially uh, your collateralization ratio continues to improve because the base asset is uh, appreciating in value uh, uh, over time as long as the POS assets uh, value remains steady. So I think high level speaking, I don't think there's been sort of like a clear sort of DeFi 2.0. Obviously, um, you know, people like to kind of talk about it because it becomes interesting from a mental model perspective. Um, but I think there's just innovation that continues to happen. Um on the back of a lot of the work uh, that was done by uh, some of the, you know, uh, really, really uh, early DeFi projects, including, you know, Synthetics, uh, Comp, um, you see, you know, Uniswap, Curve, uh, Aave, um, Yearn. And so, I mean, overall, I think in general, people have been a little bit bearish about DeFi as well. For me, I think that's, it's just sort of the market, you know, uh, moving in trends. You know, I remain extremely bullish on DeFi uh, as a whole. And it's something that, you know, I'm massively interested in and, and passionate about. Uh, so super excited to see what the future holds. Yeah, I totally agree. I could not be more bullish. And um, and to your point about, you know, whether, you know, institutional money is coming in or not, it, whether or not it is, um, just to your point about, um, the current crypto assets. Sergey from Chainlink made this point recently. I saw where he's like, you know, we're, there's two hundred billion dollars uh, being used in DeFi right now, but crypto is at a two trillion dollar market cap. So that's that. You know, we could bring you know one point eight trillion more in if just those who already have crypto assets just wanted to use them productively. So 
huge growth opportunities there, even if you didn't have inflows. And I, I think we're likely to have both, um, but just kind of in, in agreement with what you were saying there. Um, so uh, I'm going to ask a couple of questions about uh, just building in general. So um, as, as you guys know, Alpha, um, VentureDAO, and, and Terra are hosting um, this really large, maybe the biggest ever kind of Asia-focused hackathon or, or um, hackathons. And, um, and there's probably several builders in the room here too. Um, so just kind of um, from a builder's perspective, um, would you uh, be able to share kind of what are some techniques you use when you're ideating about your product? Um, and how did you each kind of come up with the ideas for um, Alan for you for uh, beta and uh, Tushar for persistence? Yeah, sure thing. I think a lot of the same principles when ideating for like any like new product or like startup in general, uh, either like in traditional software or in like Web3 um, are pretty similar. So it really like comes down to kind of like figuring out what are kind of the pain points in the ecosystem. And that was like what I did when I was trying to like come up with the idea with beta. It was kind of like, okay, what is something that I wish I could use right now, um, but doesn't exist? And short selling was one of them. Because previously, before beta existed, if you want to short a token on chain, you would have to interact with two to three different protocols, manage these positions manually, and then unwind them manually as well. And it was a very like tedious and unpleasant user experience process. Um, and I thought there could be a better way to execute this. And that's kind of like how we landed on this idea. And after we landed on that idea, we continued to like speak with a lot of different people in the space about what their experiences were, what their thoughts on um, short selling was, and whether they saw a need for it. And then after we kind of had that validation, then we like proceeded um, with further like diving deeper, working out the technical ex uh, documentation for it, et cetera. So to kind of like recap on what I just said, like, again, thinking about what your pain points are, talking to other people, what their pain points are, and then kind of presenting this like idea of what your product is, like what is the market you're addressing or like the type of user you're addressing and going to that specific profile of a user and seeing if that is something um, that they feel is a need in the space. Yeah, that totally well, makes sense and very helpful. I think um, that's just it, a lot of times you can assume if you're a heavy DeFi user and you're having pain, other, people's are, other people are too. <laughs> so um, yeah, I appreciate that perspective. Go ahead, Tushar. Yep. Um, I think, um, I, I think, for me personally as well, um, as uh, you know, the project, uh, you know, persistence be stake. I think um, we both kind of failed upwards, uh, you know, to figure out, um, you know, the specific problems um, that that we were solving and what the uh, kind of what the best solution uh, would be as well. Uh, so, high level speaking, I think from a general sense, uh, something that I was super bullish on. Um, from kind of you know 2017 18 onwards was just proof of stake in general, um, and that was 
a little bit contrarian at the time because you know even you know in 2020 um all of the defi activity pretty you know took place um so uh, from that perspective i think the first you know uh, proof of stake chains um uh, you know depos as we know it today uh, to go live uh, was i think tezos was the first one in 2018 as well as uh, the cosmos hub uh, so essentially you know one of my mentors um uh, was deep into pos and kind of guided uh, guided me uh, to be to be early and to bet on that um so as a result you know when i was kind of starting to uh, build um was trying to look for the best ecosystem uh to build on and at that time wanted to bet on pos and essentially it was a choice between cosmos and tezos and so decided to bet on cosmos um you know which has turned out to be a great bet um in hindsight obviously post that you know given the multi-chain environment we have gone uh, sort of multi-chain as well as interchain kind of in line with the ethos and philosophy of cosmos itself um but yeah essentially we started working on persistence which is a tenement based uh, proof of stake chain um and um as a way to do token distribution uh, for xprt uh, we uh, had done a stake drop campaign where stakers of certain assets uh, such as atom uh, luna um kava a couple of other coins would receive a very targeted airdrop uh of the persistence coin and within uh 3 months this was in q4 2020 within 3 months we had more than a billion dollars worth of staked assets uh in 2020 prices i think it would be almost double um those assets would be worth about 2 billion uh, in current prices um we had a billion dollars worth of staked assets that participated in the campaign uh and so that gave us an idea that there was a huge amount of demand uh, out there in the market in terms of generating additional yields from already staked assets um so that was the sort of uh, uh you know that's kind of how the genesis for uh, p stake happened uh prior to that obviously we'd been running validator nodes um on multiple proof of stake chains uh, both tenement based as well as non tenement based um and so we had a uh, as a team we had a good idea um of of things at the infrastructural level so at the validator level for proof of stake networks we had a good idea at the consensus level because uh, we had launched our own uh, pos chain um and then we kind of vertically integrated up uh, post the success of the stake drop to the application level uh, to create p stake so um i wouldn't say there was one moment of serendipity uh, so to speak uh, it was essentially a lot of trial and error a lot of failed experiments um a lot of meandering uh, through um and just essentially learning from a whole bunch of mistakes um uh, that uh, i made that we made as a company as an organization um which finally led to you know peace stake uh, you know being built that's a um really great perspective. Um I've heard that from a lot of entrepreneurs about uh the uh the need to sometimes fail upward. Um I think Slack's an interesting example of that. It came out of a failed video game experience or experiment. So, um yeah, thank you for that. Uh so I'm just going to we're going to just going to do one last question and then let's uh switch to Q&A um since we got started a few minutes late. Um so 
uh, just curious for each of you, kind of what, what have been the most difficult things to overcome um, uh, when uh, building uh, beta and persistence? And, and also just kind of as a side question to that, um, the um, being part of uh, kind of the alpha network with the um, uh, being the two first um, launchpad projects, uh, how, how has that been helpful in, um, in overcoming challenges as, as kind of uh, earlier projects? Yeah, I think as with like any like new product or like new startup, there are a lot of like really challenging things around like ensuring the sustainability um, of the project, especially in like DeFi, um, making sure that you're able to catch the trends when they happen immediately. Um, and also trying to like figure out how to make sure your what you're building is composable and able to like grow and expand rather than like staying as like a stale product. And so I think these are the three things that I've been like grappling with the most right now. Um, because right now, for example, we're seeing kind of a decrease in like on-chain usage for DeFi all across the chains. And so a lot of people have been like speculating that right now we are like entering a bear market. And it's really important for me at Beta that I ensure that we're able to like stick it through this bear market and have enough liquidity as well as like enough funds in order to kind of catch the next like bull cycle when it happens. And so trying to like figure out what is like a right balance between like ensuring incentivization of users to continue to use the protocol, um, but also like figuring out how to do this in a sustainable way such that like we're not just like burning through capital and that we have a sufficient runway to continue to build for the long term. Um, and then the next point about like kind of fearing being able to catch these like opportunistic moments is really challenging because especially like in DeFi and crypto, cycles move extremely fast. Like if you just look at kind of the L1 narrative, we've already cycled through like six different chains. Like TRX was like the first one, then there was like BSC, then like Polygon, then like Solana, then Avalanche, and now like maybe it's like near uh, or in like Terra as well. And so like we see that a lot of like capital continuously like moves around because of these like shifting narratives and being able to position your products such that you're always like on top of this and like always like being a part of that like bullish uh wave is like really important in order to kind of ensure that like your protocol is continuously growing because say if your protocol is like on polygon and now all the liquidity is moved over to like avalanche um then what do you do now right and so making sure that or like creating uh, some like sort of like mechanism or like design for the protocol to ensure that it's able to scale to these like new opportunities in a, in a sustainable way um, has also been a topic on my mind. And then finally, like a third point is really like trying to figure out exactly like what are like different ways in which 
the protocol itself can grow through like building new products. And so Alpha has like done a really good, has been like really good about this with like starting with Alpha Hamora, then like moving into like the NFT space with like Alpha Biowall and like Provably Rare Gems, and now like expanding into like the Venture DAO. And I want to think about how we can also do something similar with like beta, whether that's um, like building more like composable products on top of like our short selling um, protocol or like maybe like hedging vaults, for example, um, or either like expanding into like other spaces as well. So these are like the three things that I've been like focused on um, on solving right now. And then in terms of kind of like the alpha network, I think like one, like the builders at alpha are like really good and really smart. So they'll be able to help you like ideate and figure out like what are problems with your current idea? Like what are potential solutions as well as like most importantly, connecting you to the right people. Like the alpha network is extremely expansive. They have connections with builders, investors, um, traders and more. And so you're really able to get kind of a very like diverse perspective on how the space is doing. And I think understanding what are the opportunities in the space, you really only learn that by like talking to other people. Um, and that I think is a huge value add by being a part of the alpha network. So for anyone that's looking to or like on the fence about like applying to alpha incubate i think like for beta finance in particular a lot of what we've accomplished would not have been possible had it not been um for being a part of the alpha network so have only good things to say great yeah thank you that's a really good perspective how about you to share yep um I think uh, I think in terms of you know s some of the things that are challenging, I, I think um, I think some of the points um, that Alan highlighted, uh, you know, definitely challenging. I think um, you know being able to attract uh, you know sufficient traction um, is challenging. But I think if we take a um, you know a step back, I think all the way from the very inception, you know, I think at every level and at different stages, I think, uh, you know, builders and founders, you know, face different problems. Um, you know, you kind of start off, um, either you have a really strong idea um, or a really solid, you know, idea in terms of, you know, what you want to build um, or you kind of, um, you know, um, figure out, you know, sort of a smaller need in the market and then kind of expand uh, from there. Uh, so it can either be sort of, um, you know, grounds up idea driven or sort of uh, need driven from the market and just problem solving. Um, so I think figuring back out itself is challenging uh, at, uh, at the outset in terms of do you serve an immediate need in the market or do you create like something, you know, quote unquote, fundamentally new uh, that the end users may not know about. I think that's the first challenge um, once you have kind of high level figured that out, I, I mean, small, small things like what do you want to, like, how do you want to be branded? What do you want to call yourself? How do you, you know, assemble the initial team? How, you know, um, how do you, you know, uh, make sure that, you know, salaries are being paid every month? Um, uh, so the initial fundraising, um, um, and then, uh, I mean, 
you know, for folks who've been building in the last couple of years might have not have been that difficult because, uh, you know, the market was really good. But, you know, if and when we do go into a you know bear market, you know, things do get challenging, um, you know, which is, uh, so I've been through that journey of just like not being able to raise for months and months and months and not knowing, you know, where capital was going to come from um, and having to sort of pay salaries uh, uh, to uh, to the team. Uh, so I think that is a potential challenge, although it doesn't seem like a challenge uh, in the current scenario as well. Um, and then once you figure that out, you know, figuring out how to build, uh, once you, you know, figure out how to build, how to get it audited, that itself is a challenge given how, uh, short-staffed the security audit firms are um, figuring out a good go-to-market strategy uh, so that you can get traction. Once you figure out the go-to-market strategy, now that may work or may not work. Um, uh, if everything goes well, you can still kind of, you know, uh, uh, have made mistakes on the tokenomics. And uh, again, these are all um, kind of, you know, uh, things that, you know, I personally have kind of gone through the journey and, and learned as well and, and tried to improve at every step um, as well. And then obviously if everything goes well, you can, you know, still have certain bugs that, you know, that may get exploited. Um, so I think there's all, you know, sorts of uh, challenges. Once you get to a certain level of, you know, success, you're like, okay, how do I, you know, grow 10x from here? So uh, as, as Bill Gates, you know, says, <laughs> you, you solve a thousand problems to solve, a, you know, more interesting thousand new problems. And so I think that's, but that's kind of the, you know, founder journey uh, is, you know, it's, I think, especially in this industry and Alan kind of alluded to it as well in terms of how quickly it moves. Um, I think as a founder at some level, so there's two ways to, I think, do that as well. I mean, there's obviously the way of kind of, you know, jumping from um, kind of project to project or, or like kind of L1 to L1 where the hype is, or of course, you know, there's the alternative view of just kind of sticking to one where you sort of have a greater faith and belief and kind of betting on one while still having some sort of exposure to others. Um, but again, I think that's a decision that you have to make as a founder. And I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but it can be a, you know, uh, it can be an important uh, a decision to make and, and may determine the eventual success or failure um, of what one is trying to do. Um, so again, it's, I think, you know, there's a whole bunch of challenges uh, at every level. Uh, I think if you kind of fundamentally love solving problems, if you fundamentally love, um, you know, having the responsibility of like knowing whether you're going to win or lose, um, but having that sort of grit to fight through that, um, uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, I think that's what kind of makes a successful founder. And I think that's what all finder, all founders, you know, kind of go through um, over a period of time. I think beyond all of this, you know, you have um, once you scale to a certain level, I think this is one of the problems that we faced internally recently um, where you scale to a certain level where processes start falling apart and, um, you know, uh, governance, there's, there was no proper governance and documentation and so that's a whole different kind of management problem that you have to solve, uh, which nobody talks about in crypto uh, because everyone's trying to move at the speed of light. Um, but I think beyond the point, you need some structure uh, in place to make sure that things don't blow up. 
Um, so I think those are high level challenges that at least um, I have faced, uh, you know, up to up to this point. Um, with respect to your second part of the question, uh, I think from our perspective, uh, one of the main reasons, you know, why we chose to go ahead uh, with the Alpha Launchpad was because we were essentially really, really Cosmos heavy, um, and but essentially what we were trying to do and build. Um, um, our go-to-market involved reaching out to a lot of uh, Ethereum users. Uh, and so one of the biggest motivators for us uh, was to essentially, uh, you know, uh, ensure that um, there were hardcore DeFi users, which uh, I think if you're uh, um, a user of Alpha Homora, um, you would be classified uh, in, in that category uh, for the most part. Um, and so what we wanted to do was kind of reach out and ensure that the hardcore DeFi users would at least, um, you know, have some exposure to P-Stake and, and create brand awareness uh, for P-Stake within the hardcore DeFi users. So that was one of the biggest motivators for us. And um, obviously, we were able to get that um, exposure, um, you know, thanks to um, the platform the Alpha team um, has created uh, high-level you know, uh, helped a decent amount in terms of um, generating quite a bit of uh, interest uh, with some of the investors that we really wanted to have um, on, our, on our token table um, as well. So I think that was the second thing um, that the Alpha Launchpad really helped us with. And I think high level just in terms of, uh, you know, go to market um, and certain sort of key relationships uh, that, that we were looking to build uh, with certain stakeholders in the industry um, that Tasha and the Alpha team uh, helped us out with. Uh, so I think overall, again, I think similar to Alan and just to echo his um, you know, thoughts as well, you know, it's overall super positive experience. And uh, I think we're still here, you know, uh, getting, getting some benefits um, uh, out of that experience. Great. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, both really good perspectives. Um, so I'm just going to mention a couple of things, and then if we have if we have any uh, um, people in the audience that want to ask questions, we can maybe take a couple. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, just kind of uh, going on uh, what you both uh, said, um, you know, right now is is a good opportunity for any builders here to um, to to look into the. Um, the Alpha Venture DAO as a launchpad, but also get involved with the uh, upcoming hackathon. So if you go to the Alpha Venture DAO um, uh, Twitter handle, there's a um, a pinned post about the hackathon um, coming up, and uh, lots of really awesome teams um, sponsoring this. You'll get a chance to work with really um, great builders. Um, there's going to be some awesome prize pools, and um, and then Alpha is also building this uh, gather town. It's a virtual space for people to come and chat and collaborate in a more fun way. So I think, you know, any builders here, I think there's some some good opportunity to come and and work with some of the best builders in the space and um, and to also, uh, you know, potentially win some great prizes and things like that. So um, I'd look into that uh, or recommend looking into that. Um, but yeah, let's let's just open it up for uh, for a minute and see if there are any um, questions for Alan and Tushar, um, and then we can wrap it up. 
I, I think high level just to jump in while we're waiting for folks to step up. You know, very happy. Again, um, you know, there were a bunch of people that kind of stepped forward uh, to help uh, me out during my journey as well. And I'm truly grateful uh, to those people. So, you know, very happy to kind of pay it forward and, and really help out, you know, any, um, anyone looking to build or, you know, already, looking, already building something and kind of talk about, you know, some of the, who made every single mistake um, under the sun over the last, you know, few years in the industry. So very happy to speak about those experiences and, um, and, and make sure that, you know, those mistakes don't get repeated. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, go ahead, Jacob. Hey, guys. Uh, you know, I enjoyed listening to your conversation, so thanks for giving it. Um, I kind of have a, a weirder question. I actually just started writing for Business Insider as a crypto fellow, and I have my first article that's actually going to be on DeFi scams. So I wanted to know if you guys would have uh, a quote I could use for my article, um, you know, on the prevalence of DeFi scams, specifically for someone who's looking to get into DeFi without having a huge background in crypto. Um, I guess like one thing I will advise on is like, uh, don't always listen to Twitter influencers. I think a lot of people get scammed, um, from like DeFi protocols and things like that because of kind of like a blind, uh, blind following of what some people like say on the internet without doing their own research. And so... I personally like always vet whatever um, protocol or um, DeFi product I use before I invest in it or put money in it. Um, I, I think just to add on, and I think kind of along similar lines, I would um, most definitely read through, um, you know, at least one security audit report for any product that uh, any end user is um, uh, using and idly, um, you know, uh, any product before it goes out into market uh, should have gone through multiple security audits uh, and also have ongoing security audits. I think that is something that is, uh, you know, if that is not there or if that's not up to the mark, that's definitely a big red flag. Yeah, one thing I also want to quickly add is there's a website um, that I've used in the past called rugdoc.io, rugdoc.io. Um, and I think it's like a good way for you to kind of get a grasp of what some of the like most common ways that like malicious actors try to scam people by. Um, and then that can kind of like help you get a sense of like what to look out for as well. I'll have to check out RugDuck. I hadn't heard of that one. That's great. Um, uh, Rush, Pat, do you have a question for us? Yeah, hey, uh, thank you guys for doing this. Um, so I, I am, uh, like Red said, I'm, 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 I'm trying to build a product right now and participating in this hackathon. Um, so my question is, from a practical point of view, how did you guys manage um, your teams and across different like time zones, obviously, sometimes, or or just building in general when you're not together in a central location or something like that. And second is, uh, 
how do you go about valuing a company or value, so you don't um, you don't dilute your early on your shares way too much and kind of risk the protocol being too centralized later on? I guess I can take this first. Um, on the point of managing a distributed team, I think it is very, very challenging. Like when we first started out, that was probably one of the like biggest pain points um, because like if you're in different time zones, then communication lags. So like say you're doing like a code review, then you have to like wait maybe like 12 hours before like someone takes a look at it and you're blocked on it. Um, so I think like one of the biggest things that I did was like set up a very clear like calendar schedule for like when things should be like ready when like reviews should happen and then make sure that we're all aligned on when um on these like different kind of like designated times for reviewing different things whether it's like uh technical documentation business development documentation or business development plans etc and i think like using or like having a more proper like task management system rather than kind of just like an ad hoc like notes pad or like google doc is really necessary for a distributed team like maybe using like jira or like notion as like a task management platform is really important because then it gives like way more clarity around like what's been accomplished like what needs to be done if someone is having a problem then it's very like transparent on that dashboard for everyone to look in and like hop in at once um and using it at first is like very challenging because there's a lot of different i guess like tips and tricks that you need to learn but as you like start to like master it your like productivity um becomes much much better and then it's like much much easier to work distributed when uh everyone like understands like what tasks they should be doing and like how to resolve issues with those tasks. And then on the second point of figuring out like what is like a proper valuation for whatever product you're building, I would honestly say just like go to like a uh, coin desk or something and look at what other companies have been like raising at. Um, and then see if like your protocol is like in a similar space and then that can kind of give you like a rough sense of uh like what your evaluation should be and then now there's like a ton of like different protocols out there that have raised already and they all publish their like tokenomics breakdown so i would research that and then you can kind of like decide on what you think is right for your own breakdown um yeah to add on i think uh, yeah just i think just it's just about getting organized um so i think some of the things that uh we have implemented uh so all calls all internal calls for the most part unless we're at ideation stage happen only on mondays and thursdays so tuesdays wednesdays and fridays no calls internally um and those calls are essentially created in a way that works for people in all of the locations um um, and so, you know, the governance is really strong in terms of, you know, when those calls are going to be, how long they're going to last, uh, sending off kind of agenda beforehand, you know, using meetings only for sort of decisions and not for discussions. Uh, so those are some of the rules that we've kind of internally created. 
um i think outside of that you know using multiple tools so um you know using slack we use monday.com for kind of task management and project management um yeah so it's i think it's a combination of using like calendar plus drive plus uh um project management tools plus something like a slack for comms um uh, really well and and making sure that you know um uh, people are coming into calls very prepared and you know it's not like you know you know there's aimless conversations having on uh, being done on calls it's obviously different during in the ideation phase where you actually do want to kind of like this uh explore and and not have you know uh specific agendas you know potentially uh so th- i think that uh, kind of really helps i think apart from that i think it's just um i i think it can instead of you know uh, taking it in a negative way i think there's a whole bunch of positives as well especially uh, i think the most important thing is just working with people who are highly motivated um and i think a lot of highly motivated people do function better um you know in in silo and a lot of highly motivated people also do not want to sort of get disturbed by other people so working in a distributed manner does have its pros as well and and not just uh cons i i personally work a lot better um kind of in silo as well uh, a lot of times uh, but then dedicate a couple of days for you know back to back meetings uh cuz you know that's just required um with respect to uh, uh you know thinking of the sort of token table or the cap table you know i would sort of um you know i think crypto as an industry sort of flush with capital i would still sort of uh be cautious and kind of raise what's required and and a little bit more just as a buffer um in terms of valuation itself uh again i think there's no kind of right or wrong answer here you know looking at other similar products uh, at similar stages um is one way um i think but if you truly think you're like really you know better than some of the existing products then obviously you know you should a uh, place a premium um but i think it really depends on what you're trying to optimize for um if you're are you trying to optimize for the raise are you trying to optimize for distribution of tokens uh to your users or distribution of you know uh tokens or um especially if it's a token uh, project which i'm presuming it is if it's equity then it's a whole different ball game uh but i think with tokens you know you have to answer a whole bunch of questions uh with respect to who do you want um your tokens be to be held by you know is it like um, you know investors or community members or users or you know the team and um if there are other stakeholders like you know validators or um you know so i think there's a whole bunch of questions that need to be considered um but yeah i would high level you know look at those points Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, those are really great answers and insightful. Um, I had another question, but if other people don't have them, I'll ask it. Um, I think, yeah, let's just take this last uh, question from you, Rushpat, and then call it a call it a day. We're a little bit over on time, so yeah, it's, uh, uh, we can end with that. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah. So, like, okay, can you two talk about maybe one thing that you think you did really right that helped helped you a lot? and one thing that you wish you would have changed kind of on your process of being here right now um as like as respect to um 
how you manage the protocol or your journey along the way? Uh, sure. I Hello. Uh, I can speak first. Um, I think like one thing that we did really well was in the initial beginning, like kind of like driving a lot of like attention and like interest into the project. Because I think one of the things that you only have like really like one chance to get right is like your first impression of what the project is like to um, like DeFi and like all your users out there and we see that right now that there are like really strong flywheel effects um, for protocols that make good first impressions like I think just recently in the past few days like Yeti Finance launched and they had like building a lot of like attention and like hype around their protocol for like months before they launched um, and then that kind of like culminated in them just like surging in activity and like volume, et cetera, uh, upon their initial launch. And I think like we as well, like did something like very similar back when we first launched, um, in the summer of 2021, like, for example, one of the cool things that we did was, um, we listed the first, like fractionalized um nft for like short selling so we got some like attention because we were the first protocol that allowed anyone to actually like short sell or like hedge against speculation of an nft um to some degree and i think although this was probably like one of the things that we did very well it was also one of the things that i wish i could like go back and like do a bit better um because while like there are a lot of like flywheel effects from having a really like, successful launch and like getting all those eyeballs on your protocol, we didn't take as good advantage as we should have of all the attention on the protocol and really like use that to kind of further catalyze like even more growth. Um, we had kind of just like planned out the scope of like how the launch would happen without kind of like thinking about like, okay, if we have like a really successful launch, then like what is going to happen next? Like how will we capitalize on all this like capital and attention on the protocol? Um, and by the time we figured it out and decided on what to do with all that attention, um, a lot of it had left. And so that kind of like resulted in us like struggling for a bit, like, we trying to like find like where our like niche and like fit was and then slowly like climbing back up. And so I would say like, it's really important not only to think about like how you launch, but how to also like how to, um, how to also like take advantage um, of the attention that you're going to get upon your launch. Um. I, I would say um, I think something we've done well is um, I, I, th I don't think it's one thing. Uh, I think it's just a you know series of things. And, and like I you know mentioned earlier, I think we've just sort of failed upwards uh, repeatedly um, and true to our name, uh, uh, you know, which is uh, persistence. Uh, so, uh, I mean, high level speaking, I think it's just a, you know, series of sort of you know good decisions uh, whether that is i think high level speaking there are sort of three pillars on which any good 
um, crypto project is built on. Uh, one is obviously the tech and the product. Uh, the second is the community. And third is the project's ability uh, to do business development. And I think there are really very, very few projects uh, in the world um, that are able to uh, do all three of those well and in unison. Um, and so I think one of the things overall that we've tried to do is to get a balance of um, all of these three sort of pillars or uh, three legs um, at the same time. Uh, so I think that, and that is incredibly, you know, difficult to do, at least I think from my perspective. I mean, I think there are projects that get the community right, but, you know, don't do enough BD or BD right. But, you know, uh, you know, the tech is not up to the mark or do tech really well, but are not able to get traction. Uh, but I think to do all three in tandem is sort of the sweet spot. Um, um, and then basically just trying to do as many things as possible to get all of those three in balance. Um, in terms of, you know, I, I guess the same answer for doing things wrong as well. I think I've kind of mentioned that I've made every single mistake um, under the sun, whether it was, you know, raising capital uh, from the wrong people, working with wrong service providers, uh, across, you know, different uh, functions, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, marketing or uh, legal, um, it's, you know, essentially um, choosing to, like, you know, P-Stake, the token launched on the day that, you know, uh, Putin declared war um, on Ukraine. Now, I mean, that was obviously not, you know, under my control, but, um, you know, I think, so I, I think there's a whole bunch of mistakes. Um, hiring the wrong, um, you know, hiring under duress the wrong person, um, the wrong candidate, um, which can be really detrimental to the overall culture uh, within the team. Um, and so, you know, truly speaking, I think as a founder, you have to like, like there's no one sort of right thing that you do that leads to the success. Or I, I don't think there's typically any one thing, one wrong thing. Uh, unless, obviously, I think it's a security, uh, you know, massive security exploit or, or massive bug. But even that, you can bounce back from, I think. But I think, high level speaking, I don't think there's one thing that leads to success or one thing that leads to failure. I think it's just a combination of, you know, uh, doing the right thing repeatedly or even if you do the wrong thing, then, you know, making those wrong things right over a period of time. I think that leads to, um, uh, leads to success. Um, those are really good answers. Thank you, Alan and Tushar. Those are really great, uh, insightful. Thanks. Yeah, those were great. And thanks, uh, thanks everyone for joining. And thanks, Alan and Tushar, for um, being so generous with your time uh, to to talk through uh, these things with, with us. Um, I think we're we're way over time, so um, uh, maybe we should wrap it up here. Cool. Thanks for organizing. Yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in today. Um, yeah, just a little bit, a little bit more information. If anyone's interested in, you know, gaining these experiences that's similar to PSake and Beta Finance, feel free to join our hackathon. We have more information on our Twitter page. Um, yeah, so thanks again for everyone um, who's stayed all the way to the end. And um, we have more AMAs coming up, so feel free to tune in on those as well. Thank you, everyone, and have a good night or morning or wherever you are. Thank you, guys.